saw a great future for myself, yes. So I was always a dreamer. I did intend to, to do great things. I intended to go everywhere I could go, be everything I could be. Country music legend Dolly Parton. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. You know, everybody knows Dolly Parton, and not just for her music. Dolly Parton is an entrepreneur, a movie star, a producer, uh, a philanthropist. Dolly does everything. She's a legend. And I got to meet her in 1994. She wrote a book, uh, an autobiography, uh, subtitled An Unfinished Business or some such thing. Um, but she was a delightful person to talk to. I went to her hotel room. Yes, I went to Dolly Parton's hotel room. Um, and we talked... Now, you'll notice in the audio in this, there's, and I'm kind of embarrassed about this, all of my years in radio, I'm, I know how to work a tape recorder, but in those days, in the mid-90s, I was doing almost all my interviews in studio. I rarely took a tape recorder out into the field with me. The particular recorder that I borrowed that day had a switch on it. You could either switch it to the handheld mic that you would pass back and forth, or the switch would go to the built-in microphone on the recorder itself. I set the recorder down on the table, pulled the cord over so we could talk like this. Didn't realize I had the switch in the wrong position. So the sound is a little muddy today. It's not up to my usual standards because I was using the wrong microphone. But at any rate, Dolly Parton from 1994. Certainly a lot has been written about you over the years, not all of it very kind. Uh, you have to kind of strap on pretty thick armor when those tabloid magazines come out, don't you? To be honest, I think I I have been treated better than, than most because uh, I've been at it a long time and I've left myself wide open for anything that people want to say about me. It's not like that I haven't flaunted most of the stuff they talk about and it's not like I don't say most of the stuff they say. And like I've said in the book um, about the tabloids, I said usually all the stories that I've ever read about myself or other people are based on a thread of truth. It's usually pretty frayed by the time they get finished with it, but there's always some truth in, in most of the stories they write. Most, I say. But uh, I had a question-answer section in the book mm -hmm. where it says, what is the best-kept secret? And I said, that I own the National Enquirer. He said, is there anything that makes you mad? I said, yeah, when the tabloids write a story about me, that's untrue, and put it in the middle of the book instead of on the cover. So, <laughs> that's kind of my philosophy about the tabloids. It, it never hurts. It sells records if people are interested in you, and I've, I've always sold a lot of tabloids, so people must be interested. So now they have the book. I don't know what the tabloids do now that I've told it all. But you do, you have a very straightforward style, because in the beginning of the book you do tell us that we'll probably read the gossipy parts first. And you did, And, and, we, and we did, yes. <laughs> and... <laughs> But then you say, go back and read it from the beginning. And, you know, when you read it from the beginning, it's a great story. Well, it's my life story. It's a very different story. It's a very involved story. And I kind of think of my life as a code of many colors. It's got all sorts of colors, the ups, the downs, the blacks, the blues, the yellows, the whites, the black, you know, the darks. And then there's the gray areas. But everybody's life is like that. And usually... You know, once you're a celebrity, people are just very interested in what you have to say. And you can really help people, I think, once you are in a position to help. 
and people just like say for instance I talked a lot about plastic surgery and and things that people are interested in that a lot of celebrities would be gun shy of or <clears throat> excuse me or try to hide but um, <clears throat> can I clear my throat mm-hmm, sure. start that one again get that razor blade out just like in the book I talked uh, some about plastic surgery people have often asked me uh, if I've had plastic surgery and at my age and being in this business and looking the way I do and choose to look I've had a little nips and tugs here and there for for a few years now but I, I wanted to mention it only because I wanted to tell people how important it is that you not look in the yellow pages for a plastic surgeon you need to go to the best and I gave names of people to call I talked about the names of my doctors the very people that I trust that I know are going to do a good job if you do need something done. It's not for everybody. Everybody don't want it. But if you can afford it and you feel a need for it, to me, that's what, you know, these people are blessed as well. They spend their whole lives uh, learning this craft to be good at it. That's a God-given gift as well. So I just feel like whatever makes you a better person, whatever makes you feel better, if looking better makes you feel better, you will just be a better person for everybody else. So, you know, I talk a lot about my philosophy on things like that. I've been wondering about something for several years. In 9 to 5, there's the scene, uh, Doralee is is talking to her husband at night and talking about how the poor treatment she's getting at work, how everybody treats her like the bastard at the family picnic or whatever. <laughs> the, 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 and I, and I've, I've been thinking over the years, I mean, you must have in your own life felt that way at times that you tell the story in, in one at one point in the book about uh, everybody, there was a rumor going around about you at school, and everybody was kind of treating you kind of askance. I mean, you, you I suspect you felt that way at, at times, haven't you? Well, I have had a lot of hurt in my life. Um, I've overcome it because of my spiritual beliefs, my faith in God. I, I was lucky to have a good family, a wonderful mother that had a great attitude, too. But there, I've always been so different and unusual, uh, especially where I grew up. I was stuck out like a sore thumb, if you'll pardon the expression, in every way. Not just the boobs, but just my personality, just my attitude. I was always the girl that looked like trash because I patterned myself after what they called the trash in our hometown. I thought she was beautiful because I loved the makeup, I loved the tight clothes, and when they said, you know, she's the trash, I thought, well, that's what I want to be when I grow up, trash. So it's like I didn't really know what it meant at the time, but I just knew I wanted to have yellow, big yellow hair and big long red nails and high heel shoes and tight clothes. So I really got accused of a lot of things I wasn't really doing. A lot of the girls that looked so prim and proper were with everybody in the back seat. I was in the front seat writing songs and having a big time telling <laughs> jokes and saying whatever I took a notion to. So because I had such an outgoing personality, I was often misunderstood. Not to say that I didn't get in the back seat at, <laughs> at times, but the point is I was not nearly as bad as I was made out to be, only because I was so different and so you know, outrageous in my appearance and so outgoing in my personality. And you were singing on the radio when you were 10. Well, I started singing, well, I was born singing, I guess. Music is a gift in, in our family, my mother's people. My grandpa was a Pentecostal preacher and a music teacher of sorts. And uh, so I grew up singing in the church. Most of my people did. But I was I wanted to get out and make a living at it. I wanted to do something more and take it to new places. And I had the kind of personality to get out and do it. Many of my people were very shy and at that time more backwards uh, about it. Backwoodsy, as they would say. <laughs> Uh, 
not hicks just you know mm -hmm. good country people hillbillies we proudly call ourselves i never mean that with any disrespect because i'm proud to be a hillbilly but i was a hillbilly that wanted to get out of hills and take it to you know to other places too so um it was it was just something i started doing at a very early age and i started singing on radio tv when i was about 10 on local tv a show sponsored by a man that owned a on the chain of supermarkets. Mr. Cass Walker was my first big big break. A wonderful old character that's still around in those parts and very proud of me. You also said in the book, and I may be paraphrasing it poorly, that your, the seven years with Porter Wagner were the most difficult years of your life. Why do you say that? Well, for the same reason I also said in that book that they were also seven of the most productive. Uh, it was just a very difficult time. Porter and I were very much alike in the fact that we were very stubborn, was dueling dreams, is all it amounted to. I'll always be grateful to Porter for, for the break that he gave me because he did give me my first really big break into the big time country music. Although he did not discover me, I'd already had you know some records on the radio and had wonderful people that had shown a great deal of interest and, and helped me along. But that was my first big break of, of really presenting my God-given talents to a broader audience. So. I'll always be thankful for that, but we just were personalities that had, we just clashed, you know how some people just do, and our excitement was fighting, I think, because like Porter liked, he was he was real outgoing, real aggressive, had a hot temper, and I got a big mouth. So it's like I was one of those people that where he could really back most people in a corner with his loud mouth and make them afraid, I just... You know, I would just stand right up to him, and we would just argue. If I, we would argue over what I should wear, what I should sing, what I should be writing. But like I say, not to take nothing from him. I'm sure I was just as impossible in his mind as he was in mine. But we did do wonderful work together. We we were very productive. We're both very proud of what we've accomplished. It's just that I had agreed to stay with Porter's show for five years. When the five years came, we were just getting really hot. He didn't want me to go. I still wanted to go. And so we just, that was our main problem. I just wanted to, I wanted to get out and have my own band, have my own show. And I didn't want to just be the girl singer in somebody else's show for all of my life. So we disagreed on many things, but uh, I think it turned out the way that it was meant to be. And I think uh, Porter sees that now. And At that time, when you didn't want to just be the girl singer in somebody else, did you foresee movie star and entrepreneur and, and all the things that you've become? Well, I saw a great future for myself, yes. I didn't necessarily pinpoint it as movie star or as having a Dollywood then, although I had always dreamed of going back home when I got to be famous and building a similar thing to what we have now. So I was always a dreamer. I did intend to, to do great things. I intended to go everywhere I could go, be everything I could be. And that was also one of my ropes with Porter because I was dreaming so big that I think it just frightened him and just pissed him off. What is left for you that you have always wanted to do and haven't yet done? Well, I'm kind of like a goose. I wake up in a new world every day, and I also wake up with a new dream every day. And things just kind of dictate themselves. My dreams, I don't just sit around thinking all the things I can do. I'm prepared for anything and everything. I let I ask God to bring you know, great ideas into my head, to bring all the right things and all the right people into my life and take all the wrong things and all the wrong people out. And I leave myself open for that 
divine uh, energy and intelligence that I expect. So I just act on the things that seem to hit me that that I should run with now. And so I'm, I've got many things to do, many business ventures. I still want to write a Broadway musical uh, of based on my life story, Southern Musical. And then I also want to do many children's projects of videos and books and things, which I do have a, a new children's book mm-hmm. out as well called Code of Many Colors based on it is the song illustrated and done up in, in a sweet fashion for the little kids. But I intend to do more of that. And I have my Heavens to Betsy mm-hmm. television show on CBS that will be airing this fall or in uh, January of, of the coming year. And I'm very excited about that. And I think I've got a, a good show now, something I can be real proud of and what I was trying to do when I did the other show. So, uh, And I have Dolly's Dailies and Nighties, which is a line of clothes. I have my cosmetic line. I have a new wig line that's out now. And so I'm just going for it while, you know, making hay while the sun shines. Because while I'm hot, why not? Because one of these days I can sit back and roll in my money and roll in my fat. I don't have to worry about looking good. I'll just say, well, bring my money and bring me some more food. So I can just sit back and have a big old time. <laughs> well, in the final analysis, are you glad you wrote the book? Yes, I am. I was never so glad to get done with anything in my life, though. Someone once said, and I wrote about that, I don't know who it was, said, writing your life story is the hardest thing you'll ever do. Well, you know, you never think about those things until I started writing, and I understand completely what they're talking about. Of course, I cut out more stuff than I put in the book. That was the hard part. So many wonderful stories I had to leave out because you have to pace it and, you know, the continuity and you have to, you know, and you only have so many pages to write. So I have enough for another one if I ever want to sit down that long, but I doubt you'd have to run me down to make me write another long involved story. Well, it, it does occur to me when we met Reba McIntyre, she said the same thing. She said, next person suggests writing a book, she says, I'm going to choke a liver on them. Yeah. Well, I can understand. I probably, I do have intentions and do have, since I am a writer, I've, through the years I've, I've written things, but shorter things and not so involved where people, you know, when you're laying yourself out, that's what's hard. But I have a series of of things called I Am Individual Awareness Method and in that I have a book called Confidence and Attitude Success Through Confidence and Attitude then I'll have some on cosmetics or you know that sort of thing uplifting but smaller books but nothing this involved for the near future you know it may be hard to believe but Dolly Parton is going to be 74 in a few days still going strong still doing great things Anyway, next time on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm going to revisit an interview that I first posted here on Now I've Heard Everything in Season 1 about a year ago with Kat Von D. This is an interview that I did with her back in 2010. Kat Von D. Great stories and a great inker. Is that what you call a tattoo artist? Yes, I guess. Anyway, back in my day, before the Earth's crust cooled, the only women with tattoos you found in circuses. But anyway, Kat Von D. will be with us next now i've heard everything i'm bill thompson <laughs>